it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor, a part of the Unhinged Sports Network. We can always be reached on our social media, Twitter, the BleacherCon1, and at the BleacherCon2. On Facebook, we have our page, the Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. So as always, if you have anything you want to ask us, anything you want us to hear us talk about, let us know. You've got mail. And at this time, we're going to answer one of our listeners' feedback from last week's show uh, in regards to the... Uh, no hitting potential rule coming into play in the Ontario Hockey League as part of the COVID restrictions of the return to play action. And our question this week comes in from Chris in Vancouver. And he goes, hey, guys, was there any indication of penalties or fines in regards to the no body checking rule in the OHL? Uh, Chris, at this time, those types of rules haven't. Uh, come into play yet Uh, there hasn't been any major or sorry official announcement in regards to what those rules will look like Um, I would have to imagine there will be similar to kind of women's hockey where there will be kind of body contact rules where there will be penalties enforced upon the play and he had further asked if he thought uh, if the no body checking rules uh, could lead to more injuries or ejections for guys unfamiliar with the with or with the rules. Ken, did you want to take off on that? Yeah, and I, th- I think it was, it was a good question and definitely brought up a good point with it that uh, these guys are used to hitting, right? So now that you're going to have players and trying to keep it fresh in the back of their mind that I'm not to hit, I'm not going to get hit, I'm not going to get hit. But at the same time, when you're in the middle of a game and you're going to make a check, if, if you forget, let's, let's just take the honest side of it, that you forget that I'm not supposed to hit someone right now, and you hit a guy who is thinking, hey, I'm not going to get hit, it could lead to, to some injuries and guys getting, I don't want to call them blindside hits, but I just think unsuspecting hits that could put people in a, a bit of a compromising position it, it's scary. I, I do believe that the OHL not discussing this with, or sorry, the Ontario government not having the discussions with the OHL on a plan and how this is going to look, uh, it could potentially cause some problems for the players on the ice. I would have to agree with you, Ken. I think there's a certain way these guys have been trained to play the game all through their 
the all through levels of the hockey and they're used to body contact. And I think this will be a, a major, major change for them. And I think there will definitely be some adapting to, to the new rules and what those rules look like and what the penalties potentially will be. We don't know yet, but I would have to imagine it would be similar to a female uh, hockey league. So I would like to thank uh, Chris in Vancouver for that question. And again, other listeners, we'd love to hear from you guys and we'd love to answer your questions on our show. Yeah, definitely appreciate the question. On this week's episode, uh, we're going to do our usual That's Offside, where we're going to discuss a a topic that uh, we may not necessarily agree with. Uh, With this being the 25-year anniversary of the Raptors and the Grizzlies tipping off in the NBA, we want to take a look back on the Toronto Raptors and the, don't forget, Vancouver Grizzlies, not Memphis Grizzlies. And baseball offseason is now in, in swing. So we would like to take an opportunity to discuss, you know, what's happened so far with the Blue Jays offseason and what we think might happen. What direction is the team going to go? You know, there, there's rumblings out there that Rogers may open up the purse this summer. Well, I guess not this summer, this, uh, this winter. So we shall see if that happens. But at this time, Ken, I would like to throw it to you. Uh, well, actually, before we get going, I just like, I think we're obviously recording after the fact, but um, this was a big week in the United States. I mean, we're in Canada. We, uh, we get to watch everything that's going on. And the, the 2020 presidential election just took place. You know, you and I were kind of talking about this uh, before, we, before we started that it was really interesting and really, you know, it's kind of good to see the amount of people that turned out one way or another to have their voice heard in this election. I mean, it was the, the two candidates received the highest number of votes ever in U.S. presidential election history. So that, that's quite impressive that people in the year of the pandemic uh, chose to have their voices heard. Yeah, I, I have to give a big shout out to our listeners south of the border who came out in record numbers. And whether that was in person or, or via mail, a record number of people decided they had to have their voice heard. And it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on on this. I think it goes to show how much our listeners south of the border love their country. And they came out and over almost close to 145 million people. And that, that total will grow. It is astounding that in the middle of a pandemic, that many people had to do their civic duty. And further to that, I want to give a congratulations to Kamala Harris becoming the first female vice president in history that that's no small feat. And that is something for everybody to be proud of. It's, it's, it's astonishing and and it's awesome to be completely honest. Yeah. First female that will hold a a seat of that power in the United States and and a person of color too, uh, which is incredible. You know, president Barack Obama was the first She's now the next one to be in one of those seats and probably will definitely will not be the last. I think it's very inspiring for when you look at all the, the young girls that were in the crowd at different, you know, rallies, polling stations, voting, they all have someone to look up to now that's in a position and say, that could be me one day. There, there hasn't had been a lot of that representation 
in the past in a lot of politics, not just, uh, you know, talking about U.S. right now, but in a lot of politics, you haven't seen that. So it's, it's really good to see that the there's a little bit of diversity getting into the higher powers throughout the world. And obviously, uh, uh, congratulations also in store for President-elect Joe Biden, who in one of the most hotly contested and not finished elections in history, it appears that he will be the 46th president of the United States. And he does have a major, major job ahead of him in trying to reunite a divided country. But I, I think he looks forward to that opportunity. And I think hopefully he's, he's the right man for the job. So uh, again, a, a congratulations to the president-elect. Yeah, congratulations to both. So and that, at this time, Ken, I guess, what caught your eye in the world of sports this week? I, I think just in general, and I know we've kind of talked about some of this stuff before, but it just doesn't seem to stop with Major League Baseball. Uh, the lack of holding people accountable to their actions, uh, it, it just, it can't get any more offside than that for me right now. And I'm talking about A.J. Hinch. Yeah, he served his year suspension. He was hired by the Detroit Tigers this week. Cora is back with the Red Sox. They they hired him this week. It's back into the role that they fired him for or let him step away for after he received a one-year suspension for his actions in both the Houston Astros 2017 cheating scandal and the 2018 Red Sox. This is a guy who for two teams, back-to-back -back years, was caught cheating. And as well, again, Justin Turner gets no suspension, no fine uh, from Major League Baseball for his actions after game six. And I get it. Yes, winning the World Series, it may be the one and only of his career. He can still relish in it without putting people in danger. Both he and the league put out a convoluted statements of how there was, there was a lot of confusion around it. So they're kind of giving him a pass with it. I don't, that's not acceptable. As I, you know, it's upwards of 10 people within the Dodgers organization now have had positive cases of COVID-19. Now we're, we're recording this on a, the Sunday, two weeks after the world series ended. That is the exact time that they say it takes for symptoms to show up 10 people on top of Justin Turner have now contracted COVID-19. Now, is it solely because of his actions? We don't know, but MLB did allow fans into that stadium where the NLCS and the World Series were played. And guess what? That is the only, the, the Dodgers were the only team in both of those. And that is the only city where games were played that there was a positive test come out of. A lot of this falls on Major League Baseball. They have a history of holding people accountable. And for whatever reason now, we are getting away from that. I would have to agree with you on this, Ken. I'm the Alex Cora situation, in my opinion, is one of the worst. You've got a manager who's twice been essentially convicted of cheating in baseball, and he got a slap on the wrist. And not only did he only get a slap on the wrist, he's got a job again. High-paying. High-paying job. A.J. Hinch, he really only got a slap on the wrist, too. And now he's back in the league. I. It is really disappointing that from a league that has quite historically laid out some pretty harsh penalties, you know, whether it be Chicago Black Sox, I guess it was, where they essentially banned the entire team. 
eight to players. Marge, eight players, sorry, to Marge Shaw, to George Steinbrenner, to Pete Rose, to, you know, people who deserve to, well, I guess the Black Sox not so much deserved it, but some of the people who did deserve to face the harsh realities of their actions got what they deserved. And now you've got guys like Alex Cora, a, a, a two-time cheater back in the league with merely a slap on the wrist. Yeah. I mean, the Chicago Black Sox scandal, they didn't cheat to win a World Series. They just decided we're not going to play to lose because it was a gambling. They were in with with the you know mob, mafia, whatever you want to say, and they were getting paid to lose so that they could because they were the favorite team you know sure all the gangsters and people wanting were betting on against them were very happy to win a lot of money back then you brought up mark shot she was banned for making racist comments and rightfully right. so absolutely rightfully so you have so you have a, a, a team that didn't necessarily cheat to win but decided to lose eight players banned for life that were part of that scandal you have Major League Baseball has a history of turning a blind eye when it's good for the sport. You look back to the years of Mark McGuire and others, Jose Canseco, all the players that you knew were juicing and were getting away with it. Why? Because it brought people to the stadiums to watch baseball. When when guys are hitting 55 plus 60 plus home runs a season, going to break a record, it draws attendance. It draws money. Everyone wants to be part of that. You know, you and I, we watched Barry Bonds hit home run 718 in Seattle. We just missed it, hit, seeing him break the all-time record. But that, that record comes with an asterisk, right? Baseball turns a blind eye when it's good for them, when they get money from what's going on. Now, if you have three strikes when it comes to PEDs, you're banned for life. Now, cheat, now cheating that it's more you know frowned upon and people aren't wanting to watch you know, steroid players hit home runs and things like that. Now it's frowned upon. Now, Even it, on that three strikes and you're out rule, you still get three strikes. And it had to be amended because the first three suspensions were very, very light. It wasn't even a lifetime ban. It, it, it was very weak in the beginning. And since it came out and then people went, hang on, this is still a bit of a joke because it wasn't deterring anything. They then changed it. So this is to me why Major League Baseball will kind of always have that little bit of black eye because they, they, don't, they don't go out there and, and punish the people for cheating. Cora, Hinch, the rest of the Astros and the Red Sox that are involved, they all cheated to win. They cheated for gain, and that was okay. You know, Carlos Beltran, he, he got hired by the Mets to be their manager and fired because of his involvement as a player in the Astros scandal. Now, he's not back in the game and it's been a year. Will he? I don't know. Maybe he will be the sole person who is fully punished and blackballed in baseball for this. We don't, we don't know right now. Yeah, and one more thing to go back to the, the steroid use. Major League Baseball actually created a, a campaign around the Maguire-Sosa home run chase. And they came out with a slogan aimed at female viewership of, chicks dig the long ball that whole campaign and it was all centered around cheating yeah and to me it's just major league baseball you said it best they, they turn a blind eye when it makes them money and i think it's it's again it, it's 
it's getting to that uh, again. And it, I, I can't believe that these two guys are back in the game so quick after blatantly getting caught to win a World Series. So I, I'm disappointing, Major League Baseball, disappointing. Yeah, I, I can I can say I'm honestly not surprised based on the fact that the players for coming clean got immunity. I'm not surprised that they're back in the game so quick. Yeah. It just kind of goes with the whole situation. So, Wes, what do you think of this whole situation? What's your take on it? After reviewing the play, it was determined that the play was offside. All right. So now we're going to move on to our next topic. And for for us here in Canada, 25 years ago, we were blessed with the NBA coming to Vancouver and Toronto. Um, little backstory on that. It was uh, September 30th, 1993. That's a long time ago. And I mean, you and I weren't that young at the time. We were 12. So it hurts to say it now, but you know, the Raptors were awarded the team then. And on the 27th of April, 1994, Vancouver was given a team. So the first time the NBA was venturing outside of the United States. Trevor, what was your thoughts on when you heard the, the news? Again, as you just stated, we were... We were, we were relatively young in comparison to now. Um, I would have to say there was this general excitement where a league that had been known for really only being in the United States was now coming to Canada. And as a, as a hockey fan, we kind of had this idea of, well, is it going to now become kind of like the NHL where there's lots of teams and, it's going to become more of almost a, a global league as opposed to strictly just a, a, a United States league. And I think there was a lot of optimism as about how this was going to happen. And me at the time, I was a, a massive Chicago Bulls fan for obvious reasons with, with Michael, it was Michael Jordan's heyday. And he was the, he was basketball at that point. And it was so exciting to me to think, wow, my country is going to get one of these one, two of these teams. And at the time I didn't know which team I was going to cheer for geographically. Vancouver was a lot closer, but to be fair, Vancouver was also, uh, it wasn't my favorite city. They were a rival of mine. So I didn't know which team I was going to choose from. And obviously, uh, a few years later, that decision was made for me. <laughs> yeah, the, the choice quickly became clear not too, uh, not too long after the, the Grizzlies became part of the NBA. Now, for myself, I mean, like I grew up probably 45 minutes outside of Vancouver in a city called Surrey, BC. And, and so it was close. Like, I was super stoked about it because I meant, hey, man, I gotta get, I'm going to get to go to NBA games. I'm going to get to see Jordan and all those other guys play that you only got to see on tv you know and i think seattle the supersonics who you know are now the oklahoma city thunder they weren't that far away they were a few hours away but again there was you had to get across you had to get into seattle didn't get to any of those games but it was nice because you had that built-in rivalry right there and i was so excited i mean i remember this is kind of after they came in but i, I remember being in grade nine and being on the basketball team and i i took number four so I was super stoked. I was going to have Byron Scott's number. Like, that's how excited <laughs> I was. Like, I'm going to wear number four, like Byron Scott. And 
it, it, there's a lot of excitement around there. so many people. I mean, like this was junior high for me, grade, you know, nine, 10, 11, all that. It was so exciting to have an NBA franchise that like that close you could go. And I went to a, a bunch of games and it was amazing entertainment. It was so much fun. There was so much excitement around the NBA in Vancouver. Honestly, I mean, even still, like the, the Grizzlies are not there, but there is, there's still a lot of excitement around the NBA. I know the city would it would die to have another team. We'll we'll get to the to the now and what it you know kind of looks like and my thoughts on that later. But looking at the NBA and they're coming to Vancouver, you know, I've I've got the uh, the the list of the expansion draft here, Trevor. BJ Armstrong is the first player taken in that expansion draft by the Raptors from the Bulls. He actually never actually played for him because he he held out and refused to uh, to go. Grizzlies took Greg Anthony, Tony Massenburg, uh, Rodney Dent. There's there's not a lot of guys on this list that you're gonna know. The Grizzlies did have the draft pick that was described as the laziest player in the NBA. That that brought some kind of excitement to the fans to hear that. That was Benoit Benjamin. That was not a great pick, I thought. But <laughs> it was really tough. Like the names on this list, and I looking from a Grizzly standpoint, not a lot of these guys made it out of year one or two. Like afterwards, going on with the team, they didn't they didn't stick around. And I think as a Grizzlies fan, the, the rotation of players that came in and out made it tough. Like the team had fans, like the, the team had support, but it just the the constant turnover of players, not really. You know, a lot of these guys on the list. I was, I mean, Byron Scott went on to a, have a decent career outside of that. Went well after the Grizzlies, came a hell of a coach. He's doing quite well in the NBA in that sense. Yeah, it just it was there was some. You had to really dig deep in the program to figure out who these guys were. Well, in looking at their 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 roster in 1995, there are. A lot of names that are very unrecognizable. Ashraf Amaya. Sorry, can't say I'm not exactly up to date on his stats. Or Doug Edwards and Antonio Harvey. There, there's, like you just said, there's, there's not a lot of household names on this list of, of players. Eric Murdoch and Lawrence Moten. Like, uh, yeah. who are these people? Like, they're, they just... Lawrence Moulton was their, their second pick in the 95 draft. And I, I, looking at the 95 draft, you know, Joe Smith went first. Antonio McDice went second. Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace, Kevin Garnett. If you could go back to the 1995 draft right now, Kevin Garnett is getting taken first overall. Uh, Kevin Garnett went fifth to Minnesota. And then we hit Vancouver's pick, Bryant Reeves. <laughs> Yeah, um, he had a big mean, country Bryant Reeves. Big country Bryant Reeves. He, I think there was excitement around him because in the NCAA, you know, Final Four, he went in for a dunk and just demolished the backboard in uh, what you can almost describe as Shaq esque style. So there was some excitement there. But I mean, to be fair, Bryant Big Country Reeves came into the league. And he only played six years. Like his career was solely with the Vancouver. Well, he played one he his last season was in Memphis, but that was it. Like he injuries kept him out of really from a lot of games. He in six years, he only played 395 games. So 
that's I don't think he played in Memphis. I think he was solely Vancouver. Well, I think no, I, there was a picture of him that I, I thought so too, but there was a picture of him I found in a Memphis uni. And that's a collector's edition. If you got it, yeah. But it, it was, I think that was the year he he tried, but he ended up retiring. He didn't play. Just everything was too much for him. So I mean, in yeah. that after Bryant Reeves was Damon Stodmar. Now the Grizzlies won the coin flip when the two franchises were awarded to decide whether they picked in the expansion draft first or got the higher pick in the draft. They chose the higher pick in the draft. Um, now, part of that too, there, there was an agreement that the Grizzlies and Raptors, I, I think it was for five years, couldn't hold the first overall pick. The highest that they could pick if they won the lottery would be number two. Yeah. Which was kind of unheard of for an expansion team teams to have those kind of, uh, Oh, what's, what's the word? Just the, those kind of restrictions. Yeah, sorry, thank you. Restrictions put on them that you can't pick that high because it hurt. Like, I mean, the '95 draft was not good. Once you get past, I mean, like Damon Stoudemire at seven, there's not a lot of names you'd go, okay, yeah, that guy had a big career, long-lasting career, just didn't happen. And yeah, Lawrence Moulton did not turn out as well. I saw, like, I saw the guy take ten thousand threes in warm up and maybe hit five, but. Looking even at the uh, the 96 draft, the, the Grizzlies took the third pick, and that was Sharif Abdurrahim. And that was kind of – that was our franchise pick right there. He was the guy that you could really build around. I, Iverson went first in that draft, and Camby, and Abdurrahim, Marbury, Allen, Walker. Um, who else went in the – Kobe. Kobe went in this draft 13th overall. Again, I think if you could redraft wow. it, uh, things would change. The one disappointing about that draft as a Grizzlies fan, Steve Nash went 15th to Phoenix. Now, Victoria is a short little boat ride across from Vancouver. That would have been huge to have a local guy playing at the time. Obviously, a 15th overall pick that he had promise. That would have been huge to have Steve Nash in a Grizzlies uniform. Everyone kind of wanted that over their time. The big thing with the Grizzlies, though, I'm not going to go through every draft and player <sighs> being there, watching it and seeing it. They weren't set up for success. The team was originally owned by the Griffiths family who owned the, the Vancouver Canucks as well, but they ended up getting out of the sports world in Vancouver and sold the team to both teams to John McCaw. John McCaw really only wanted the Canucks. He didn't necessarily want the Grizzlies. So he didn't put a lot of effort into it. And the front office wasn't really built to put a good team on the floor. He it just, it showed his lack of interest in the team. You know, when the team is told by Steve Francis, don't draft me because I won't play. And he still go out and draft. And when I think it was Lamar Odom had said he wanted to be drafted by Vancouver to play with Sharif Abdurrahim. The team was set up for failure in my opinion. And it, you know, when John McCaw decided to sell the team, everyone kind of went like this was viewed it as a bit of the beginning of the end because Bill Laurie out of St. Louis was the first owner that was lined up and having this conversation today, if it, the team was sold to Bill Laurie, we would still be talking about the Grizzlies leaving Vancouver because he flat out said he was going to buy him and move him to St. Louis, which killed the sale. And cause the NBA didn't want that secret out that they were going to allow a team to relocate so they killed that one. And then Michael Heisley was brought in as a potential 
new owner to purchase the team. And he said all the right things. We're going to make it work in Vancouver. We're going to make it work. Well, that was one season and the team was shuttered off to uh, Memphis. So what really gets me a lot of times with the NBA, there's still a lot of excitement around it. People love the NBA in Vancouver. They still want a team. And I think a team would do very well there still. For a team, you were talking about the records, Trevor. They weren't good. They weren't a good team. No, they weren't. But they still had the fan support. They averaged 17,000 fans to the games up until the last two seasons where it dropped to 14. But in those two seasons, the fans could see the writing on the wall that this team was not going to exist past then. They had support. And it took the Grizzlies in Memphis 10 till the almost 10 years from 2001 to the 2010-11 season for them to average the attendance that the Grizzlies had in the last two seasons. And even still now they're having attendance problems. Yeah. So I don't like hearing that the team moved from Vancouver because lack of support. That is 100% not the case. That team got destroyed night in, night out by average teams and the fans still showed up. People today still wear Grizzlies hats, jerseys and anything that they can get their hands on because it's still popular. Yeah. The Vancouver Grizzlies, Though coming out of the gate on fire, they won their very first two games ever in the NBA. Um, one of them being on a last second tip in overtime to go 2-0. and Unfortunately, that was kind of the peak of the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies. Uh, they went on to lose the next 17 games that season. And they ended up only winning 15 games in total that entire season. Um, unfortunately that was kind of the average, the most games that the Vancouver Grizzlies ever won was in their final season. And that was 23, which out of 82 games, unfortunately, uh, is not good enough. Um, there was never the ability to put that winning team on the floor. And you, for reasons you had mentioned about players potentially not wanting to come to Vancouver because there was this unknown, it, it made it tremendously difficult the Vancouver Grizzlies drafting record obviously wasn't stellar either. Uh, Sharif Abdurrahim was clearly the best player ever in the Vancouver Grizzlies franchise, but they never surrounded him with any legitimate talent. Well, uh, they that. never, they never like big country. Bryant Reeves was a bust, but they still let him play. And there's always this, kind of, well, he's going to work out. He's going to work out. Like there just was never a ton of talent on that team. And I think it was difficult to get players to come to that team as well, because when you're not winning players and you see it in today's NBA, players are reluctant to go to franchises that aren't winning. And I don't think this franchise was ever going to be set up to win, whether it was the NBA or ownership or the players. I don't I, I just, I, I don't know that it ever would have worked, unfortunately. I wish it would have. But the big difference between the Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors was the Raptors did find that player that put their team on the map. And Sharif Abdul-Rahim was close, but not quite good enough. The Grizzlies never had that. You know, they had Mike Bibby in their last couple of seasons, who was a, a great player. But by then, it was probably already too late. Like Mike yeah. Bibby could have been that guy to put the Vancouver Grizzlies on the map along with Sharif Abdul-Rahim, but had the damage already been done? Yeah, it, 
their drafting record was not good. And I, I kind of stopped for my own sanity after a little while looking at players and the careers they had were taken afterwards. And, you know, I think part of the NBA is much more global now than it was back in the early nineties. And I think it was tough to get players to come because they didn't know what Canada was about. They didn't know what Vancouver was about. If you say Toronto, a lot of American players probably know what Toronto is like because Toronto is much more known in the U S than any other Canadian city. So it, it was tough. I mean, it was sad to see them go. And I think for, for myself, I've, I used to be an NBA fan. I'd watch the games. I'd watch the finals. I'd go to the Grizzlies games, but when they left my, my interest in the NBA left too. And that was, it's been tough. I've been kind of watching a little bit more in the last couple of years, but it's just been tough to get behind the NBA for myself. But I know in Vancouver, there's probably people that feel the same way that it, about it, that there's still that sting. You know, I think it was David Stern had actually said his biggest regret was putting a team in Vancouver. But there's a lot of people that want to see it back. And I think now you could get the players to go because all the players that played in Vancouver, for the most part, outside of, I think, Ophela Harrington said, they loved their time in Vancouver. They loved it uh, because they didn't realize until they got there that this is what it was all about. You know, a lot of them said they were 19, 20 years old, coming to a, a different country for the first time, didn't know what was going to be going on with it. And there was a lot of unknown, but I think today it would work a lot better with a team in Vancouver. I would, I would have to agree with you. I think that Vancouver is now, and I think the Olympics had a lot to do with this. Vancouver is now an international city. And I think a team in Vancouver would work. You know, the population base is there. Vancouver has, a, like the greater Vancouver area, has a huge population, bigger than a lot of American NBA cities. So I think you would have the fan base. You have the facilities. They could easily play where the Vancouver Canucks play. So absolutely. could could the NBA work in Vancouver again? Absolutely. I absolutely think it could. Um, the reason it didn't work in the first place was, and I mentioned it earlier, the, the Vancouver Grizzlies never had their Vince Carter. And had the Toronto Raptors never had Vince Carter on their team, I don't know that they would have been put on the map either. No, and I think, I think there's, I mean, talking about the Raptors, I think Damon Stoudemire helped with that too, because Damon yep. Stoudemire did come out and put on a show and helped showcase Toronto a little bit more. You know, I mean, they, to, let's be honest, the Toronto Raptors began their, uh, career or their life playing out of what was then called the sky dome which is a football slash baseball stadium you know like they they had to set up special rafters where they they didn't have their own kind of what you consider modern today setup but they had a player who you could really market and get behind and brought some flash to that team right off the hop yeah there was some excitement around the it was almost the pizzazz of damon stoudemire's game where he was flashy, he was exciting. And so even when they were losing and in the first couple of seasons, trust me, there was also a lot of losing, you know, they, they only had 21 wins in their inaugural season and 30 in their second. And then they dipped down to 16 in their third. He kind of was that reason to still watch and it was exciting. And he gave fans a reason. 
but it wasn't, it really wasn't until Vince Carter showed up in Toronto and they moved out of the Sky Dome a few years later and into, um, they shared the facility with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Air Canada Centre. It was, that's when the team took off. And that it was the major difference in the two because the team slowly but surely, they weren't NBA contenders, but they were at least in the playoff picture. And they had a superstar player who was one of the most popular players in the league. There's a reason he's called Air Canada. Yeah. Because he was so dynamic and just brought people out of their seats and his jumping ability and his flashiness and his slam dunks and everything just put that team on the map. Yeah. And they, they were able to do some good drafting over the years to bring in other players. You know, Marcus Camby was there. Uh, Chris Bosch. They, they, they got some other players to come in that kept them going and kept the, the, the excitement around the team. The Raptors have always been uh, short of the first few seasons. They've always been competitive where they're able to, and whether they were only winning 33 games a year, they were still fielding a, a lineup that was at least NBA caliber. Yeah. And I think that goes a long ways and they were able to, you know, they had players like Morris Peterson and Alvin Williams who were, they were legitimate NBA players. And so you weren't fielding a bunch of scrubs and just playing games, which I felt like the Vancouver Grizzlies did sometimes. You actually had some actual NBA players on those teams. And then a lot of people also forget, you talk about drafting. The Toronto Raptors, I believe, drafted Tracy McGrady. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was a member of the Toronto Raptors in the heyday of Vince Carter. And there is always this, what could have been, what, what should have been Tracy McGrady. I I hate to say this wind his way out of Toronto because he didn't feel like he was going to be the superstar. And you had to be brutally honest. He wasn't, that was Vince Carter's team. Yeah. And Tracy McGrady wind his way out of Toronto because he wasn't getting the showcase minutes. Well, imagine what could have been Tracy McGrady in his heyday, Vince Carter in his heyday, Antonio Davis in his heyday. There were some good players on that team. And they were in 2000, they were uh, Vince Carter missed three or missed shot away from going to the Eastern conference finals with that team. They were an up and coming team. And I hate to say it, what could have been had that team stayed together? We may not have had to wait until 2018 for the first championship. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, uh, they, they definitely, as they, they went on and got older as a franchise, definitely put out a, a much better team. And as you say, they, they won the championship. They, they yeah, were, they the were able team. to bring in, they, they've always had good players on that team, be it Chris Bosch, DeMar DeRozan, Vince Carter. There's always been good players on that team. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry coming in, in, I believe it was about 2012. Don't quote me on that. Once he came and then he's kind of established, uh, he's become the fixture of that team. 
And it all culminated in 2018 with Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam winning the championship. Yes. And even last year, they were a championship caliber team. <laughs> even, even after Kawhi Leonard left, the pieces that were left over, it was still a championship caliber team. And I think that goes a long way to what you were talking about where because the game's more global now, the Raptors were able to bring in, you know, guys like Mark Gasol was happy and loved it here. Yeah. You know, I believe he's from Spain and you've got Pascal Siakam who's uh, from Cameroon and it's a global game. And I think it's made life easier on the Raptors to be able to attract global talent. And let's face it, Vancouver never got that opportunity. No, no, they never, nothing. They never did. They were never afforded that opportunity. I don't think for a second, the team was ever expected to last there longer than it did. Um, the one thing with the Raptors, I was going to say, they've always had the next man on deck. They've always had that next guy coming in that could be the leader or be the face of a franchise. Yes. You know, right. Like DeMar left in a trade. They brought in Kawhi. Kawhi left in free agency, but you still had Lowry. Well, now you got Fred Van Vliet. You've got Siakam. You've got guys that, you know, if, you know, Lowry, say, whenever he retires or leaves, you've got the next guy on deck to be still the face of the franchise. To build well, even when Vince Carter left, you had Chris Bosh. They've always had that guy that they can build around. And I think it's made it so they, they, they could be successful. And, yeah. and they have been. They've, they've been to the playoffs for the last seven straight seasons, and I have a hard time believing they won't be there again next year. Like they've, they've actually become one of the most model franchises in the NBA. They have the most wins out of any franchise in the NBA. And I believe the last seven seasons, they it's, it's amazing what has transpired in Toronto. When you think of where it all started in 1995, where they were expansion cousins with the Vancouver Grizzlies and struggling to win 20 games a season, both of them yeah. to unfortunately Vancouver leaving and, but you've seen Toronto just progress and progress and progress. And it is now a destination in the NBA. And that's awesome. It says a lot about that franchise. Well, and the franchise has been taken over, like Canada has taken that team on. And yeah. And during that championship run, the entire country of Canada got behind the, the Raptors, which was you know pretty incredible to see. So we'll see what happens going forward. If that's going to be continued how the country's going to kind of take on that team as Canada's team. And uh, we'll continue to see how they do. And will Vancouver ever make it back to the NBA? We don't know. Uh, hit us up on social media, Twitter, at TheBleacherCon1, at TheBleacherCon2, our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor. Let us know what your thoughts are on these two Canadian franchises. What you think Do you want to see a team in Vancouver again? Yeah, I like. Would you support a team back in Vancouver? What would you want it to look like? Probably wouldn't be the Grizzlies, but it could be another team. Okay, well, staying with the theme of Toronto, we uh, we want to touch on uh, some off-season baseball, and that would be with the Toronto Blue Jays. And there's been a few uh, a few things happen within the Blue Jays uh, camp that uh, I, I kind of want to talk about. Uh, the very first one is this week, Vlad Guerrero Jr. came out. It pretty much said that he intends on taking back uh, third base for the Toronto Blue Jays and that that's his position. I, uh, I have some strong feelings about this, to be honest, Ken. Uh, in no way do I believe 
that third base is Vlad's position. If he wants it to be his position, he can bloody well go out and earn it. He, in his first kind of one full season, really hasn't done anything in the field to tell me that he deserves to have that position. When he played there in his first year, I think he had 17 errors and he moved over to first base and he struggled there as well. At what point do you go, maybe your fielding in either position is just not good enough. And I, I was rather disappointed when I heard him say, that's my position. No, no, it's not go out and earn it. And to be fair, he appears motivated this off season. So that that's a good thing, but I hate saying this. The first kind of two seasons he's been on the Blue Jays have been a little underwhelming, and I, I really hope he takes it seriously and and becomes what we think and know that he probably is. Yeah, no, I'm not going to call that offside on you, you know, on that wholeheartedly, but I think I kind of took that as a positive note in that I maybe, did too. maybe he's realized – he needs to put in some effort and it's good that he feels like that's my spot. That's my, that's my position. I mean, the other part with Vladdy, I was reading, he's down 32 pounds from that summer camp post lockdown and I actually saw the picture of him. He looks like a guy who's putting in the work right now since the season ended. I believe it said he's lost 12 pounds. Yeah, he's something eating like a lot that. better. He's putting in the work. He's working hard. And I took that as a positive as, okay, is this going to mean Vladdy's coming in on a mission to show that that is where he belongs? That's where he wants to be. And that's his position. And so, if he does and earns it, then all the power to him. Absolutely. Because I don't believe that he should just be like, that's my position and then have it given to him. The team is our, like the upper management has already said that he's going to play at third again this this upcoming season, which I took, we already spoke about this. I took as a surprise because you got to stop moving the kid around, give him a spot to be. He still has to earn it, but put a plan in place for him to be like, Hey, yes, this is what you're going to be put in the work. And yeah. so far it looks like he is putting in that work to, to be there. Um, his conditioning and his shape was something you and I've talked about lots over his, time since coming even before he came up that he didn't quite look like a you know in major league athlete. baseball player <laughs> well to be fair there's been a lot of guys that are out of shape in the major league baseball stars i don't think everyone thought cecil or prince fielder were uh top flight athletes walking down the street you know um there's lots of guys that haven't been in what you consider top shape playing baseball yeah. but i did take I'm ex- that as a positive I'm excited that he's putting in the effort and I really hope that the time will tell if if this is going to pay off. And I I do believe it will. So I have some excitement there. Uh, The second topic I want to talk about, and I don't want to give this a ton of time, Ken, because I think both you and I are in agreement on this is Charlie Montoyo being a candidate for manager of the year. To me, it's absurd. And I don't want to give this a lot of time because it, He's an analytics only guy. And I just, I don't see it. I really, really don't see it. Yeah. Like he's up against Kevin Cash and Renteria from the White Sox who subsequently has been fired um, and is up for manager of the year. So that doesn't make a lot of sense, but there are two other coaches that should have been there 
ahead of him. Uh, one was Rocco Baldelli in uh, Minnesota, had a, a better record than the than Montoyo. And uh, this is really just slipped my mind. The Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin. Yeah. He had they they both had better records than Montoya. Why is he up for this award? And you could take the playing in in Buffalo and everything they had to go through. Look, yes, that it, the Buffalo piece is slightly different than everyone else, but everyone else dealt with adversary ad, advers, adversary this season. I'll get it right. Um, adversity. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I have only had one cup of coffee today. Uh, they all they all had it. They all had their ups and downs and things they had to deal with. So he made a lot of decisions that were not good. That actually cost them games. I don't think bringing um, Wilmer Fontin down by one run with a nine plus ERA to go on and lose the game by four runs. That's not a good decision. Yeah. I, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I think there's other candidates that are more yeah. deserving. And, and the third topic, and this is always going to be the fun topic in, uh, in any off season is, there's rumors that Rogers is going to open the purse springs or the purse strings this, uh, this off season. And that's got me thinking what free agents do you think the Toronto blue Jays a are realistically going to go after and B should go after. Well, if you want to throw logic into the conversation, I might just mute your mic right now. Um, yeah. I mean, ideally, like I, I've got the by position free agents up in front of me. We need a catcher, 100%. We need a catcher that can play defense and hit. And if you're going to spend the money, JT Realmuto, spend the money. James McCann is out there. Yeah, uh, James McCann was the name that I more looked at. Uh, Realmuto is, let's face it, he's going to cost too much and no Toronto never gets the big names. No. So I think it's a pipe dream. Would he be the best fit? 100%. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I mean, I'd even take a Yadier Molina for a couple of years. Yeah, he's pretty old. He's getting there, but he he's still solid. Um, yeah. You could DH him too as well. Uh, there's a lot of guys. Kurt Suzuki's up there in age too, but he's another guy that knows how to play. Um there's guys that are available. So it'd be nice to see them spend some money and get a catcher who can play defense and hit. Um, we need some consistency back there. The last few years, our catchers have not done well with the blue Jays. Um, yeah, I'm in agreement on the catching. I think that should be a, a major priority this off season. Would I love it to be real, real Muto? Of course I would, but I think someone like McCann is a little bit more realistic yeah. Uh, in my opinion, one of the, the the area of concern with this team is pitching. Um, uh, we've already made one move in re-signing Robbie Ray, which is a relatively low risk, high reward move on a one year deal. Um, of course, Trevor Bauer had to go out and uh, stoke the fire with a tweet this week, talking about how much he enjoys um, uh, that Toronto is a very nice city. So now. Of course, Toronto media is very, uh, he's signing here. Uh, again, yeah. I think that's a pipe dream. Would yeah, he fit he, here? Yeah, you bet he would. <laughs> he'd be, he'd look great in those Blue Jays, baby blues. Yeah, as long as there's a stipulation in his contract that says no drone flying. Um, yes. <laughs> Blue Jays fans and Cleveland Indian fans know plenty about that. 
Yeah, I think starting pitching, absolutely. The Blue Jays need to sign a couple of guys. I would like to see Taiwan Walker come back. Yes, uh, Taiwan Walker. Uh, I've got him circled on my page right here yeah. as don't forget Taiwan Walker because he's priority A, B, and C in my opinion. Yeah. Now, here's a question for you. Trevor Bauer, would he be the fit in the locker room that you would want. I mean, Marcus Stroman was with the Jays and he, everyone kind of talked about the way he kind of held himself. Trevor Bauer is also a kind of a very outspoken player, great talent. Now, would you want to bring that back into the locker room? And again, the difference between the two, maybe like night and day, but he is very well, outspoken. You hear a lot about him. He's on Twitter a lot, right? So to me, there's nothing wrong with personality. And if you're asking me if I'd like to have a guy with a sub two ERA and posts more than 10 strikeouts a game in my locker room, the answer is yes. Yeah. I, I think 100%. I think there's nothing wrong with people with personality in baseball in any sport. So I would 100% take him. Yeah. That I, being I, said, I think there's more realistic candidates for guys that the blue Jays might go after. And I'm looking at guys like Charlie Morton. Sure, he might be 37 or 38, but on a short-term deal, could be very high reward. Mm -hmm. uh, James Paxton, I think, could be uh, very intriguing little from a Canadian, Canadian bacon. perspective. Yeah. yeah, little Canadian bacon there. Drew Smiley, another lefty who had a tough year this year. Or Corey Kluber, who pitched mm -hmm. like one inning this year, but in the past has been dominant. Yeah, John and Lester's out there. John Lester was another name. I Jake Odorizzi. Marcello. I think there's a lot of more realistic candidates that the Jays could take flyers on, on some short-term deals. Yeah. And I think you could round out the pitching staff with a, a, a Drew Smiley or a Jay Happ. Chris Archer's out John there. John Lester. Yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris Archer, yes. There's a lot of – this is the year to be looking for starting pitching because there's a lot of it. Um, for me, I was kind of looking at the infield a little bit, second base. Now, this all comes down to the fact you've got to find homes, permanent homes, for Vladdy, for Biggio, for Rowdy. Now – you got to make a decision. Where's Vladdy going to go? What are you going to do with Rowdy? Is he going to be an everyday first baseman? Are you just going to DH him? So what do you do? Do you feel that maybe you put Biggio at first base or whatever, but you got guys like Colton Wong available, DJ LeMahieu available. There's a lot of guys at second base, you know, Jason Kipnis for some leadership, veteran leadership on that team is available at second. I would like to think that they may be looking at a second baseman. There's a lot of good talent in there. Um, and a, a I right... actually, I think they might be looking at a third baseman, despite what they say about Vladdy. And I actually, and we already talked about him today. I think Justin Turner is actually a, 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 a big fit with the Toronto Blue Jays. He gives you that veteran leadership and it would have to be on a shorter term deal. But I think you could potentially look at a guy like Justin Turner at third and keeping Vladdy at first. Yeah. Or I look in the outfield in center field and the first name that really drew me in is Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah. He, I think he's a significant upgrade over Randall Gritchuk 
maybe not in the strikeout category, but in the defensive capability and on base, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is a very realistic possibility yeah. for this team. I mean, looking at the outfielders alone, I don't I don't think you take Grichik out of the outfield. You need one. You got Guriel Jr. in left. You got Grichik, whether he plays right or center. But do you go out and get Jock Peterson? Michael Brantley is available. George yeah, Springer. Yeah, Michael Brantley. Um, Not George Springer, please. Yeah. I'm just I'll saying. Stay away from, I'll yeah. stay away from all those Houston Astros. Yeah. Adam Eaton, Cameron Maven, Yasiel Puig, Josh. Well, I mean, I won't say Josh Reddick. Um, Nick Marquette, there are guys out there that you could get on a reasonable deal to put in the outfield. So I think they got to go out and get one of those guys for sure to, to fill out that outfield, make it a little more stable because you cannot have Derek Fisher roaming right field, let alone taking up an opening day roster spot. I'm sorry, but Derek Fisher, no. In your opinion, Ken, what are the biggest needs of this team? If they were to go out and if you could pick two players – who would you pick for and, and realistic players? Who would you pick? Well, I mean, ideally you got to get a top play catcher, I think, out of that group. So whether it's James McCann or possibly Wilson Ramos, one of those guys, uh, you got to get a catcher. So for me, I'll stick with James McCann. I'll make him the guy that I would pick and sign. Starting pitching. Also, you need a closer. So I'm torn. Uh, I'm going to say pitching. So I'm going to take two for pitchers, a starter and a closer. I'm going to say Joke, uh, Jake Odorizzi and looking at someone who could close, let's bring back Liam Hendricks or yeah. Liam uh, Hendricks was on my list. Yeah. There's a couple guys that you could bring back who have gone on to have good careers post their time with the Jays that you could bring in to be a closer. Liam Hendricks has turned into a, a really good pitcher in his time with the A's. Uh, there's a few other guys, but let's go with those three. Okay. Um, to me, and, and to me it's pitching. Well. And, yeah. To me, uh, Taiwan Walker is a must to me. It's pitching and center field. So I would have to go Taiwan Walker's a must and center field. Jackie Bradley jr. I think would be a, a, a really good addition. And it would also hurt one of your rivals big time. Absolutely. And uh, it's got to be a starting pitcher. So I got to go with the CanCon Canadian content and, and James Paxton, I think would be a great addition uh, along with Taewon Walker on this team. And I think if you can round out that, that starting rotation, you've gone a long way in making the blue Jays a contender. Yeah. They need that. They need some veterans on this team. Blue Jays fans, we'd love to hear from you. Who do you think the team should go after and what are realistic targets? Reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor, or on Twitter at the TheBleacherCon1 and at the TheBleacherCon2. Yeah, and again, thanks for listening to us here on the Unhinged Network. Uh, if you missed any part of it, if you want to hear past episodes, uh, on our Facebook page, The Bleacher Connection with Ken and Trevor, you can find our link to take it to the anchor page where you can find all the platforms we're available on to listen to again. Thanks for tuning in everyone. Thanks everyone.